If you don't miss us, that means obviously you're not part of the family. Yeah. <laughs> Let's open our Bibles. We've got some time. Uh, Vern uh, started last week uh, part one about unqualified, and I was, I was listening to it online. So well done, Vern, and tells sharing your testimony. Um, so to give him a round of applause, it was great. And just to be transparent, just to be open and vulnerable about uh, what God has done. And the great thing about that is that uh, God turned everything around. So this morning, um, I'm going to carry on part two. So let's look at Philippians 3, if you've got your Bibles with you. Uh, Philippians 3 is obviously the book of Philippians. It was the letter written by Paul to the church in Philippi, which is, the, which is uh, amazing because, you know, when we look at church, the church, when uh, Paul wrote his letters, he was writing to the church, but the church was made up of a city. So when God looks at us, he looks at not just the gate church. He doesn't just look at um, the Methodist church. He looks at the church, the people, the city that filled the city. So this letter was written to a whole city. So this city was called Philippi or region. And if you go to chapter 3, verses 1, I'm going to read through. Father, I pray that you would anoint my words. I thank you that my words are not my words, they're from your word. And I'd rather have your words be shared this morning, not my thoughts and ideals. Lord, we thank you for your power of your word, and I pray by the Spirit of God that you would minister to us where we're at, but at the same time that we would change us from where we're at to where you want us to be. And we pray for that this morning, that we say it all the time. We pray, Lord God, that you will change us. The way we came in, we want to leave transformed and different by the leading of your spirit. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Philippians 3, chapter 3, he goes, finally, so this is Paul, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Everyone say rejoice. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Pretty strong words. Eh? Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. And all those who are new to church, welcome. Who worship by the Spirit of God and glory. Other translations, New King James, the King James looks at the word boast. Who boasting in Christ is good. Boasting outside in your flesh is bad. So being able to actually define the differences. We can boast as long as we boast in Christ. God has done this in my life. And I love the testimony he tells her about God doing the work in her life. And so it's okay to boast, but as long as it's in what God has done. Amen? Because sometimes we can boast a lot about what we've done and what we have achieved. And remember that God opposes the proud and it gives grace to the humble. So we just got to look at that context, okay? And put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if any else thinks, anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to seal, the persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, other translations say, faultless. But whatever gain I had, this is good, but all of it's good. But this is, stay with me on this one. I count as loss. Other translations use the word as number twos. <laughs> That's Joseph's translation. Another translation would say, dung. This is why, for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in, other, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him. It wants to say know Him. And the power of His resurrection 
And this is a part that we sometimes leave out and share his sufferings. See, some Christians don't like to leave their part in. Becoming like him in his death. You're probably wondering, what's this all about? So when we look at the context of this, he's writing to the church of Philippi. He's talking about where he's come from. So in this context today, we're going to talk about how Jesus qualifies you. How Jesus, the person of Jesus, qualifies you. So in this text, we're going to look at some history. We're going to look at the covenants. We're going to look at three covenants. The covenant of Abraham, the covenant of Moses, and the covenant in Jesus, which is the new covenant. Are you right with that? So in the context of the right, a letter to Philippi, the church of Philippi, he says this, you know what? There's people out there that boast about what they've done. They're pretty proud of what they've done. But guess what? I was circumcised on the eighth day, as they used to do. And the Israelites had to do that as part of their, the following of the Abrahamic covenant. People of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew. So he was the real deal Jew. He was everything that you needed to know to actually become a Jew. He was everything. He was like, he was the pinnacle of becoming, I, I done it all. In terms of my pedigree, I had it all. But then he goes on to say, wait a minute, let's, let's carry on about that context of people talk about, boast about what they've, what they've come from, but I also want to boast about my performance and what I did because he was a Pharisee. He had zeal. He was a persecutor of the church. This is amazing how God takes the person that's against the church, the worst persecutor of the church, and turns it around and makes him one of the most devout architects in creating the church. Isn't it amazing? Only God can do that. And what he does is that I was righteous under the law. So according to every single law that was under Moses and in the Mosaic covenant, I was spotless. You couldn't fault me. I knew everything. So he's, so he's boasting about this. But then he realizes something. So we have pedigree. My lineage, I was under the line of Abraham. I'd done everything right. The right family, the right name, the where I came from. Yeah, I had that. I also had the performance under the law, under Moses. Everything I did was spotless. It was perfect. It was faultless. But he tells us that all of this, all of this is rubbish. Unless I'm positioned in Christ Jesus. If I'm found in Him and positioned in the person of Jesus Christ, I'm not just in the right family. I'm not just fulfilling the law, but actually I'm in the right place and positioned well. So what He does is He explains us that, see, all those things will value at some stage of our lives. But what he's saying is that right now, when you're found in Christ, that is the best position you could be ever in. Because today, some of us are still trying to perform to get God's approval. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray every day. I accept Thursday. But then you, what you do is actually you put yourself in this place of you're under condemnation that if you don't do it, how would God look at me? Because many Christians feel like that. They're like driven to, if I do this, oh, I wasn't at church and I feel bad about it. Oh, no. But you shouldn't because you've got a loving Father that has positioned you in Christ. That even that's more value than what you do here and where you come from. So what we're saying this morning is that we're going to have a look at three covenants, okay? So here we go. Open your Bibles to, let's have a look at the first covenant. Abrahamic covenant. This is the covenant. So in, for those who don't know, in Jewish culture, back to history, a lot of the Bible is a lot of history as well. So between God and between man, there would be covenants. There's a majority of covenants. There's about seven, eight covenants in the Bible between different generations, different people. But these three that actually stand out that are important in terms of reading the New Testament. The first one is the Covenant made with a man called Abram. Everyone say Abram. And his name changed to so Abraham. Okay? And we'll talk about how they got that. 
Another covenant was this covenant over here with another guy, this guy called Moses. He was right here. And that's the covenant he made with God. And we'll talk about it in detail. And there's another covenant, which actually was the covenant we're living right now. It's this covenant that actually Jesus represents. Okay, so everyone say Abraham, Moses, Jesus. Let's get together. Abraham, Moses. Fantastic. We're on the same page here. Genesis 12, we're going to read, read through a lot of Scripture, and we're going to tie up some of this, how it actually works out. Genesis 12. Over here, we have a guy, Abraham. Abraham was a polytheist. He was not a Polynesian. Polytheist. So he believed in the multitude of gods. And one day, one of those gods spoke back to him. And for the chapter in Genesis 12, we see God walking with this person named Abraham. This journey. The amazing thing is that it's not until three chapters later that actually Abraham finds out that the name of this God was a God named God Almighty, or Elihim. There's a word used by Melchizedek. So we're going to this, taking down Genesis 12, 2. This was the promise that was made to Abraham. This, this is crazy, eh? So one day you're worshipping your idols, worshipping the different gods. We still worship idols, like we worship money. Today, all of us are still polytheists in some way. We've got all the gods lined up. Our career. Hello? They don't have statues, but you, you've made them a god. I'm just putting it out there. And the thing is that what happens is that God, in the midst of that, starts to speak back. Who's had that moment where you're going, oh, what? And it's not like a booming. Sometimes it's not an audible voice, but sometimes you're going, I think I need a change. I think I need to do something different because the way I'm going and the track I'm on, Probably not the right one. He's felt like that. And in the midst of that, from Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, doesn't, Abraham doesn't know who this God is speaking to him. And he says to him, I will bless you and make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make you a great name. And you will be a blessing. And those who bless you will be blessed. And those who curse you will be cursed. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Pretty cool promise, eh? Who likes that promise? So what happens is that in Genesis 12, God speaks back. Abram's journey, and one day, in chapter around chapter 15, Melchizedek. I know some of you are thinking, kids' names. Here we go. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. He was also a priest of the Lord God Almighty. He actually brought with him, this was after a battle, as the king of Salem, he brought with him bread and wine in meeting Abraham. Does this sound familiar? Melchizedek is a shadow and a type of Jesus. So when you look at types and shadows in the Bible, remember the old always is seen in the New Testament. So Melchizedek was a shadow and type and representing our Jesus. His name Melchizedek means my king is righteousness. Isn't that Jesus? So he was king of Salem. We hear in Psalms that it's actually Jerusalem. Okay? So Melchizedek meets Abram. He gets bread and wine. He has, a, has some fellowship. They're just Obviously, the battle was being won. And he goes to him, Hey, you know that God you'll be worshiping? I know who he is. I know. His name is Elohim. The supreme God. Later on, God speaks again and then speaks to himself to say, I am also El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. It's pretty cool, eh? This is an amazing conversation. And the cool thing about this is that in that moment of time, Abraham goes from polyeth, poly. I was just trying to see if he remembered. <laughs> and he goes to moni or monotheistic. So he believes in one God. 
So after worshipping all these different gods, everywhere, every idol he can find, probably find a plate, I'll make that a god. Worship that. Uh, that's, just, that's just the reality of what took place. And then he realizes that one of those gods has to, wants an interaction with him, speaking to him, wants a relationship with him, and then he realizes that he's the one true God. Elohim, El Shaddai. So he worships him. And the great thing about this is that in this moment of time, if you're taking notes, take down First Peter 2.9. I want you to take this down for your own study. And you're probably wondering why I'm reading this text. But it says here, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own position, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own position. What does that mean? That means this. In this covenant with Abraham, God needed someone called Melchizedek to really just witness to him and actually say, guess what? The God you've been talking to, the God that spoke back to, his name is Elohim. And this, this Abraham goes on this journey where he actually conversates with God. And from there, God says, no, I want to make a covenant with you. Because that covenant and that promise was, I want to bless you. Whoever blesses you, uh, they will be blessed. And whoever curses you, they will be cursed. And so it's a great promise. And then he goes on to Matthew 15. And in this moment is when Abraham realizes that God, that he needs God. And then he says this, they're having this conversation. And in Genesis 15, I'm just throwing these uh, scriptures out so you can go and do your own study. It says this in verse 8. For the first time, Abram believed the Lord. So you can imagine, that's quite a strange. He's been journeying with this God. He doesn't know the name of until chapter 15. Then in the one moment, he says, Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So in that moment of time, he became in right standing with God. That means that righteousness that God had was given him so he was covered in that righteousness so what does that mean the covenant that was made with abraham passes down from generation to generation so that means you are abraham's children based on that covenant that means you'll be blessed to be a blessing who wants that promise whoever curses you will be cursed that's a cool promise to hold on to that and the cool thing is that yeah, go curse me then. <laughs> curse me. Go ahead. Curse. But you stand in the lineage or the pedigree of Abraham. So that's pretty cool, eh? But the thing about a covenant, it needs to be, the blood needs to be spilt for that covenant to be made right. So the Lord asked Abraham in chapter 15, verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram. Each them, uh, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So what he would do was he would bring the sacrifices, because sacrificing to gods was just a normal thing. But now this God, who was speaking to Abraham, was asking him to do the sacrifice. So what they had to do was get the, the animals and the birds that they had to actually display, and the covenant was sealed through the spilling of blood, through that sacrifice. Okay, stick with me. There's, there's a point to this. So halved it, and what he had to do to actually seal it was walk through that. So cut it in half. Dun, dun, dun. That's pretty gruesome, eh? Don't make movies about that one. <laughs> so he walked through that. And in doing that, in the spilling of blood, what happens is that covenant was sealed. So generations passed, generations moved on, and we get to live under that. Because Moses, I mean, Abraham in itself, he did, his family were pretty dodgy. They, they did some strange things. But the thing was, God was so gracious in that period of time to them. That God could have done whatever God could have done <laughs> and destroyed them just like that. But yet, there was so much grace towards them until 400 years later. Now we're going to look at, we looked at Abraham. 
the cutting and the spilling of blood, seal the covenant, and you live under that covenant. Okay, so all of us, all under that covenant. Whoa, be blessed, to be a blessing. Who bless me, I'm blessed. Whoever curses me, they'll be cursed. That's cool. Who wants that? Yeah. I don't want to put my hand up here. But over here, 400 years later, what takes place is, remember the Israelites were in uh, slavery. Who's watched the movie um, Prince of Egypt? Yeah. So pretty much the, that's probably, honestly, I love that cartoon. But the thing about that is it tells us, obviously, the life of Moses. But how did they get there? Because of what Joseph and his generation done. And then what happened from there was obviously the Egyptians took on slaves who were the Israelite people. So from there, we look at Exodus 3, if you're taking notes. So there's so much in this that you, you could spend the three, three weeks going into this. But I just want to get to a point in this, okay? Moses' covenant. We'll just look at Moses there. I just want to bring you back to here. Melchizedek, he was a king. He was a priest. We need to be like Melchizedek. We live in a royal, what does it say? We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of our God's own possession. So we need to be that to other people. So Melchizedek was a person that revealed the name and the nature of God to Abraham. As Christians, as people of God, we need to reveal because we are in right standing with God and we need to reveal the name and the nature of who our God is to others. We need to be Melchizedek to Abram's because remember Abram had his name and then God changed his name to Abraham. Abraham's name was uh, the exalted father then God goes, ooh, that's a bit prideful. <laughs> it's a bit, uh, get a few mirrors around you. But then he goes, I'm going to make you into a father of multitudes. Cool, eh? And that's why he changed his name to Abraham. But the cool thing about Melchizedek is that he was in the right place, the right time, and he was able to speak to Abram when he was on his journey. Abram didn't know who this God he was speaking to was. But in the journey from chapter 12 to chapter 15, in the moment of time, he was given the opportunity to share to him, you know who that God is? It's the Lord God Almighty. He wants to connect back with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And sometimes in everyday living, we need to be like that to someone. Because some people are on a journey. Some people that you know are in this journey where I know there's something changing in me. I'm not too sure what to say about it. But then you come along and you say, you know what, who that is? That's Jesus. And you reveal the name and the nature of God to someone in your family, to a friend, to a work colleague. So we need to be Melchizedek to those around us. This is a side, a side note. But Exodus 3. And this is the moment where, where actually God speaks to Moses. And he says, I've heard my people cry. So the, the actual Israelite people had been in slavery for a long time. And, and they're crying out to God, God, rescue us. God, rescue us. It doesn't feel like we're living in Abraham's covenant. Because these guys are still cursing us. Feel, I don't feel blessed being in slavery. Then what happens is that God answers them by sending a champion, and his name was Moses. So this is an encounter with him. Moses speaks to God. Uh, God speaks to Moses and says that, I've heard my people, they are being slave, enslaved in Egypt. I want you to go on my behalf. And so he goes down and he meets them, and then he actually goes to Egypt. And we understand if you want to watch the Prince of Egypt, you can see the unfolding of the, the plagues and everything else. But God, he goes on behalf of God. So in the midst of this, they come out of Egypt, Okay. Because Pharaoh said, okay, just go, just go. Take your people and go. So what happens is they get to a place where they are getting ready to cross over the Red Sea. We heard it this morning. I spoke about it. And the great story is that there's no way through, and God makes a way through. But the crazy thing about these Israelites is that 
They were just complaining the whole way through. Oh, we just leave us there. Why didn't you bring us out? But these are the guys that were praying to God, rescue us, save us, Lord. And then a few, a few weeks later, and they're like in front of Red Sea, oh, just take us back. It's too hard. Doing this Christian thing is too hard. Too many wars. God makes a way through. An amazing thing, if you just stay true to what God has called you to, there will be a way through. You just got to stay there and just trust that God will break through. Cool. So they get to a place called Mount Sinai. It's also referred to as Mount Horeb in the Bible. This is all historical. Lynn and I were talking, we should go to Israel, right? As a church. Like later on, that'd be cool. They'll just let's just throw that out. You can see some of these places Mount Sinai, which is also Mount Horeb, and then this is where we get the Ten Commandments. Okay, who knows the Ten Commandments? <laughs> um, <laughs> but the Ten Commandments, and so remember, Moses goes up, he comes back down. The people are just not listening, they're disobeying God, and then he. He says, he tells the people, you know, today God wants to speak to you. And then the people go, oh, yeah. And then God speaks to them. And it's like thunder. And through the, through the clouds, it, was like, it sounded like thunder. And so the people were complaining again. Man, so many complainers in here, man. And the complainer goes, oh, we don't want to hear God for ourselves. Why don't you represent us on behalf of God? That's crazy, eh? That's the first religious move that was made. Because today we still have that. Why don't you be the man of God to represent us before God? But guess what? The veil was torn and you have free access yourself to God. So I'm not your man of God. Jesus is your man of God. I was just throwing it out there. That's free. It's important that we understand that because sometimes we can take it out of context and not believe that by ourselves. But the thing is that Jesus wants a relationship with you. Not with the pastor, not through the pastor to God. So this is the moment where the people are going, no, we don't want to hear God. It's just too loud, overwhelming. And then he goes, you represent us, Moses. And Moses goes, yeah, I'll step up to that. I'll represent you guys. So God, through Moses, goes up to the mountain, gets all this information, download of the Ten Commandments. Then he comes down. So while he's away, he's left his brother, Aaron, and one of his mates, her. And we heard about these guys later on when we um, see Joshua coming through the ranks, these are the two guys lifting up Moses' hands in the battle they had later on. But these guys crack up because what happens is that Moses goes, God says, leave Aaron and her. They should be okay. They, they'll look after all the complaints and deal with that. And so what happens is that time goes on because he was up there for 40 days, 40 nights. And so Aaron looks around. Because there's no movement forward, he can only think, let's just do what you used to do. So he gets everyone and goes, guys, today we're going to create our own God. And so they created a golden calf. And so they get all the jewelry, all the gold, put it together, melt it down and create this calf. Having a party. Yeah, God is good. This must be the God that Moses is talking to. Then Moses comes down from the mountain. She was Glory, he's all white hair and all that stuff. Shiny face, Nibiapal man. And he looks at, and he goes, what are you guys doing? And then Moses in this moment has a real fleshly, <laughs> he just gets angus. He looks at the people, oh, you evildoers. Man, I've been up there. Talk to God on your behalf, and I come down. You guys are having a party, and you're worshiping a fake God. What are you guys doing, man? And so he takes the stone tablets, which was carved out by the finger of God, and he chucks them down and breaks them. Crazy, eh? If God gives you something, wouldn't you just look after it? And this guy goes, oh, you guys. And this goes on, and then what happens is that he goes back up, and he realizes something, that God tells him to come back. And then we actually have this whole thing of God separating. And obviously um, the Levites will come out of that crowd where they actually were priests of the Lord. And things like that goes on and on. Let's get to the covenant. 
Exodus 24. So he get up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of, foot of the mountain and set up. Sorry, uh, turn uh, four. Exodus 24, four. Twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men. And they offered burnt offerings and sacrifices, young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in a bowl, and other half he was he splattered against the altar. So this is where the covenant was created between Moses, between God, and between the people. And Moses was the represents represented them. So what happened was what took place. Well, they had the offerings, they had the, obviously they had the animal sacrifice. They put half of the blood on the altar and half the blood which was taken. And what happened was, remember, it had to be sealed in blood. This is disgusting. He puts his hands in the bowl and he, he flicks out the blood of the sacrifice to the people. I know you will be thinking, oh, that sounds really Christian. It's in the Bible. Okay, because what happened was that there was a seal of a covenant between God and now Moses. So what happens now is that the Abrahamic covenant, which was still in play, now had been revised under the Moses covenant. Now there were laws. So you couldn't just go and just do your own thing because you think God's going to still bless you because you're under the line of Abraham. You're going to be blessed and stuff like that. You now had to make sure that you fell in line with the Ten Commandments under the law. And under the law, whoa, there were some strict guidelines that you live by. Exodus 30, um, 32, we have about golden calf. 34, we hear about the stone tablets, the new stone tablets. Remember, the old ones had been broken by, by Moses. God tells them to come back up and get some more. So the Lord said to Moses in chapter 34 of oh, Exodus 34, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. This is, this is funny. Chisel out tablets like the first ones. So he's obviously reminding them there were first ones. You know the ones? And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets. God just wants to remind them that I already gave it to you, but you, you, in your frustration, you broke them. Then he goes on to say, I love the finish of this. He goes, we're on the first tablet, which you broke. You broke them. Sometimes in life, we need to take responsibility for things that we have done. Because God may redeem a situation, but he doesn't take away the consequences of a decision. So we hear this, Abraham was all about pedigree, about being in line with the, the right family line. So under the Abraham covenant, it was awesome. Under the Moses covenant, we now have laws we have to live by. And under, we have to make sure that we had to do certain things at certain times. We had to make sure that we were worshiping the one God, one true God. These are laws put in place for the people of Israel. It was heavy going for a lot of guys. Some guys died along the way because they couldn't fulfill or weren't obedient to those laws. God just gone. Okay, so it's important to understand that's the covenant. You're probably thinking, um, is there another one? Because that sounds pretty full on. There is another one over here. And the covenant that was sealed in blood was through the person of Jesus. How was it sealed? It was sealed of blood, of his blood. Remember, the sacrifice had to be without spot or blemish had to be perfect Jesus was perfect so he became the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world the covenant which was sealed with us was sealed on the cross the seal of the covenant had been made in the blood of the lamb which was Jesus the words that were uttered on the cross was, it is finished. After Jesus, 
If you've got your Bibles, if you're writing down some notes for your own research at home, John 19, 28 to 30 is something you could write down. It says this, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were not accomplished, the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge of sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, he gave up his spirit. So Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. Because remember, in Abraham's covenant, it was made through the blood, the spilling of blood, cutting up the two animals, walking through them. And Moses, the spreading of uh, the sacrifice, the spilling of blood, the spreading it amongst the people. But in this new covenant, through Jesus, the blood was given through himself. So God giving His Son was the fulfillment of not just this covenant, which talks about pedigree, not just this covenant, covenant which talks about performance around the law, but around this covenant, which talks about being positioned in Jesus. Because God didn't say, I've come to abolish it. No, He said, I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill the things that have gone before. So in Christ who is the perfect pedigree because he's from the right line. And if we are in Christ, we fall and find ourselves in the right line or lineage, right family. He was the perfect in every way. So his performance in terms of the law was perfect. So when we find ourselves positioned in him, we are made, being made perfect in Christ because he is already perfect. Why? Because all this was about us doing our own thing because of our own righteousness. We're trying to please God. We're trying to do everything. Oh God, I want to do this for you. Many times, many years of my life, I was like that. I just want to please God. If I give more to charity, if I attend church as much as I can, if I look like I'm reading my Bible, but just only read it on Sunday, all those things, I'm trying to please God. We're trying to please God. But God already said, it is finished. All you need to be doing is be found in me. Because it's not your righteousness that you should be seeking. It's me. I am the righteousness that you need. Melchizedek, the king, my righteousness. Jesus, the king, my righteousness. Do we understand where we're going with this this morning? In the temple which was, there was a curtain that was torn from the top to the bottom. It was 60 feet long and 30 feet wide. It was one inch thick. How, how much is that? Inch. 24, 20, 24 millimeters. That's inch. So you can't tear that with your normal hands. It can only be a work of God. And in doing that, actually allowed God to actually have relationship with us through His Son, through the perfect sacrifice. Ephesians 2, if you're taking notes. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. But what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands? Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise. I have no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Doesn't that bring you so much joy? That you didn't have to do much, but realize that you needed God. Because He had done it all for you. You didn't need to go through every single thing that Abraham and Moses went through because, because of the cross of Christ, He had done it. He spilled His own blood for you. And because all you need to do is recognize 
and release faith to believe in Him, you can be in right standing with Him. Verse 13, But now in Christ you, Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near to Him by the blood of the Christ. For He Himself is our peace. He wants to say peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh and dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the laws of the commandments, expressing in the audience. This is the things that you had to do, like the little integral, like the details of when they had Moses' tabernacle, they had to go for a few times, walk a few meters, then stop, put it down, lift it up again, walk again. They had to stop at every point. So you don't have to go through that little pattern of detail anymore because if you're found in Christ, He's done it all for you. So imagine waking up, you had to be up at a certain time, you had to pray at a certain time, you had to sacrifice at a certain time, you had to do a certain thing at certain times. You don't have to do that because that perfect sacrifice in Jesus was perfect enough. And might create, um, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. And, may, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility, the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near you. From, or for through him, we both have access to one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens. Amen. But your fellow citizens were the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in which the whole structure being joined together, grows in the holy temple of the Lord. In Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for the God, for God by the Spirit. So Jesus has the perfect pedigree. He has the perfect, he has perfect performance because He was without sin. He was tempted in any way but without sin. But because of what He'd done on the cross for us, we can be in right standing with God the Father. So the great thing about the covenants is that remind us about what God had to go through to get into relationship and mend a broken relationship with mankind. We just had to do our part. Sometimes we don't want to do our part because it's too hard. Under Abraham, God allowed certain things to happen. We were like babies. Because there were some things that happened that shouldn't have happened in Abraham's generation. But God, through His gracious, allowed it to happen. It's like you having a baby if you've got a baby. No, there's certain things a baby does, and you just think, maybe it's a bit naughty, but it's so cute. You're just so cute. You just let, let them do it. But then there's a time where, in Galatians, where, where Paul talks to the church, and he tells him that we need to be, that we, when we come under Moses, under the law, we become like children, but not children under our parents, but children under a nanny or a guardian that tells us what to do. So we were like, we were like babies under Abraham. Under Moses, we were like children that were told at certain times when to sleep, when to wake up, when to eat, because you had to do it by the law. So the law became our taskmaster. Paul uses quite heavy words in this. But then we respond to Jesus we have this whole progression in the covenants. And Abraham, we were like babies. Under Moses, we were like children. Still learning, still developing, but we were actually had strict guidelines to live by. But then in Christ, the Bible says we are now heirs in Christ. So all the blessings we can live out in Christ through that new covenant. So Romans 10. Today, you may be sitting here today and you're thinking, before we get there to the next scripture, today you may be thinking, whoa, this is full on, you know. This is the story of the Bible. Because if you read through the New Testament and you look back in the Bible, you're thinking, why does 
Paul referred to Moses? Why did he refer to Abraham? You look in the book of Acts, how the referencing points. Now you understand how those work out and how the covenants work. But the great thing is that he brings it down to one pinnacle thing for us is that we need to be found in Christ. Because if you're found outside of Christ, that means the reality for you is that that's, you're missing out on that opportunity because through Christ you get to know our Father for all eternity. And for me, the greatest hell for me is being separated from God. I want to be with God forever. And the thing is that, the great thing is that Jesus became this perfect sacrifice, bloodstained cross for us. So all we need to do is say, I believe and I, my, I put my faith in you. Like we said this morning, none of these lights please God. None of the things that we do sometimes pleases God. But what pleases God is faith. Our faith in Him and our faith in believing what He can do. And God blesses us with His presence and with His provision. So today, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what journey you're on. But I just want to pray that you would come into a place where you'll be right standing with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus. Today, you probably try to perform your way into God's good books. There's only one book, and it's called the Book of Life. And to get into that book is the realization that you need Jesus as Lord of your life. Today, Jesus will make a way for you. What you need to do is recognize that you need Him. Repent, which means to turn. Turn towards Him and respond, Jesus is Lord. Romans 10 says this, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. But the person who does not does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. This is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into abyss, into the abyss. This is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what it does say, the word is near to you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word that is of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the covenants spilled in blood were recognition, were building us up to this moment where Jesus became perfect for us and in turn making a way for us to be with the Father for eternity. Isn't that cool? That's pretty awesome, eh? And there's so much in this, you know, could have, I felt like I rushed through it. But there's so much in this, you know, the sign for us. Now, we, this morning we shared a sign of that covenant. Melchizedek brought bread and wine. Jesus, in his last supper, brought bread and wine. It's part, obviously part of their Passover meal. They have many cups. But the great thing about this is that it actually symbolizes to us. Remember, the signs that we were given by God were not signs um, that God forgot who we were. It's not God looked over all creation and goes, oh, who was the other guy that gave us, uh, who was righteousness, or who was right standing with me? Oh, yeah, that's that guy, Rob. Yeah, it's not like God forgot who you were. But the signs that we have today are more for us to remember what God has done for us. That's why we do communion. Because it's not a sign to God, because God's probably going, oh, they're doing it again. <laughs> Those guys can eat a lot of parawa, man. <laughs> a lot of bread. But the thing is that it's a sign for us, just like in Abraham's covenant, the sign for the generation under Abraham was a sign of circumcision. So all the males had to be circumcised. Under Moses... The sign for them is actually to be living in the law and actually doing the law justice, living by every single thing that was put in place by the law. But in Jesus, our sign is to have faith in him. And the great thing is today we can remember him by having communion because that's the same symbols that were released by Melchizedek and in Jesus' time with his disciples. That's pretty cool, eh? So let's all stand to our feet. This morning, I know this is heavy going.
Who's, who's found something out of it that you can take away and actually do your own study? Who's found something new in that that they've never heard before? That's cool. And the great thing is that um, I just want to say this before we close up this morning. We're going to just pray then. But, um, and I've, I'm a big, big person. I was, I'm, I'm actually a, a big, big time believer in this. The Bible talks in, um, in the Bible, it talks about a group of people that were noble and they were called the Bereans. Bereans were studiers of the word, theological studiers of the word. So anytime someone preached, they were noble, be noble, the Bible says, be noble as a Berean because whatever was preached, they would go themselves and study the word for themselves to test and approve if that was from the word of God. Isn't that cool? We still have that same right today because you cannot believe anything you hear out there and you cannot believe anything that you read on social media, and you cannot believe anything you hear from someone that is your cousin's brother's sister's neighbor, or you cannot believe anything that the preacher says up here unless it's from the Word of God. And the truth that I want to release today is that you have access because of Jesus to that Word. It's really yours. But the thing is that sometimes we don't find ourselves noble as a Berean and studying for ourselves. Because guess what? It's easier just to come to church. It's easier just to sit there. But I want to give a challenge to us, every single one of us. Take this and study it for yourself. Study Abraham's covenant. Study Moses' covenant. And study the new covenant that's found in Jesus. Because when you actually study the Word, the Word would become alive to you. And then what happens is that from there, your life is changed. Remember, the power is not in wise and persuasive words, but the power is in the Holy Spirit who breathed into a man to write down on the pages which has given us the Bible. So it's important. Study the Word for yourself. Test and approve. But make sure it's in line with what God is saying to you and for your family. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord God, just for the covenants that were made. And I just want to thank you that we live in today because <laughs> that's some crazy stuff they had to do, Lord God. But we live today in knowing that Jesus has done it all. That through Him and His sacrifice, we have right standing with God, Almighty the Father. And Lord, we pray that we'll be so aware of that in our daily living, Lord God. That because of that grace, which is so amazing, I pray that it would empower us to grow in our likeness of Christ, Lord God. And we pray, Lord God, that we'll become more like Christ in everything that we do. We thank you. We want to honor you this morning, oh God. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless you all. Just a reminder, Impact, you've got a meeting at the front as well. Impact. Those are going to Rotorua. Excuse me, parents, if your children are at the back, um, they are not allowed to leave until they're finished cleaning up, please. Thank you. Hold my heart. And I know.